0: Welcome into a new conversation on the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Casey. This year, we're focusing on the multi dimensions of your next life after the world of full time work. And today's guest, the author of the book, The Portfolio Life, Christina Wallace, will make us smarter about building a portfolio of activities that you'll find enriching, fulfilling, and meaningful. Like many of our best guests, Christina Wallace didn't write the portfolio life about retirement specifically, but the concepts and principles and ideas are, in my opinion, very applicable. A self-described human Venn diagram, Christina Wallace, has crafted a career at the intersection of business, technology, and the arts. A writer, podcaster, serial entrepreneur, and erstwhile theater producer, Christina spent a decade building businesses in New York City. She's currently a senior lecturer at Harvard Business School, an active startup mentor and angel investor. She holds undergraduate degrees from Emory University and an MBA from Harvard. She lives in Cambridge, Massachusetts, with her husband and their two energetic children. Christina, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm
1: excited to be here.
0: So retirement, including early retirement, offers a great opportunity to pivot and redesign your life. But one thing I noticed is sometimes people coming out of a career that's singularly focused take that mindset into thinking about what to do next and end up looking at things in maybe a narrower way than, than, than is optimal. Mm-hmm. Looking for one thing to replace the things we got from work, one thing to replace work. How does the portfolio life offer a different way to think about what's
1: next? Yeah. I love this question. Cause I think retirement, certainly as I've seen it with my, my mother-in-law, my friends, parents, that they're all going through this transition. They're not like leaving the world. They're just leaving that that one thing that has been their big focus and has been their identity crucially for a really long time. And so it can be hard in that transition because not only have you lost the routine of what do I do with my day, you've also lost the community of here's who I talk to on a regular basis. And then you've lost this identity. How do I describe myself? Who am I when I get out of bed? And as terrifying as it is to go through that transition and losing all three things at the same time, it's a huge opportunity. Because for so many people at that cusp of retirement, they're thinking, I'm not dead yet. I've got a whole life ahead of me, right? I I still have something to offer. And very likely, I saw a lot of things I'm really curious about that I haven't had space for. So rather than replacing one thing for another, the opportunity here is to really think about your portfolio literally like your financial portfolio and you map out what do i need for this chapter do i need income of any kind some say i don't need the full income i was getting in retirement but a little bit of of income wouldn't be a terrible thing a little side hustle if you will or do i need that routine do i need a reason to leave my house every day do i need a community that will challenge me and push me to grow? Do I need that community to be in person versus one that might be online or over Zoom? So you start mapping out what you need. And honestly, a lot of times you don't know what you need until you don't have it. So sitting in that really awkwardness of those first few weeks or months and saying, ah, I hate this. Why? Why? What are you missing? And then after you map out what you need, you have that same opportunity to say, okay, well, what do I want? What comes next? What are the things that I am interested in or parts of my Venn diagram that I haven't been able to make use of in a while? And then you just sort of, it's a little bit like a a mashup, a mixtape. Which things that I want help me get the things that I need? And at the end of the day, as long as you've got your needs met, it doesn't matter if it's from one thing or six things. Really, you're just focused on how am I making sure I still have all the pieces that help me beat me.
0: Mixtape, mashup, great, great, great ways to think of it. (laughs) And another thing I noticed is identity is obviously a big issue that people face when they're retiring. What are the downsides to equating what you do with who you are and (laughs) how can that be reframed?
1: I mean, there's a huge downside. One is that you can lose who you are and your source of income in the same conversation. That's certainly a a downside for people in my demographic who are much earlier in their careers. But I think later on, the big downside is the fear of retiring because you don't know who you are outside of your work. I think we certainly can see this in a number of leaders, whether it's in politics or the business world or fashion and media. We see this across the board. Folks that are Holding on to these positions of power well into their 80s and 90s. For I don't know any of them individually, but I can certainly extrapolate looking at it from afar because it feels like they have no hobbies. It feels like they have nothing else that makes them them, right? And if they lose this one thing, they are nobody. That's the big challenge. It's staying in longer than you'd want to, holding on to that job or that role, that leadership position longer than you want to because of that, the challenge of that transition. So part of this work is before that decision to retire, right? It's learning to separate your identity from your work and pulling up a level to say, okay, who am I in any given room? What do I bring to the table? Am I a connector? Am I a storyteller? Am I someone who challenges the status quo? Am I someone who can read the room and can instantly notice when someone is feeling left out? And that shows up in how I am a leader, how I am a grandparent, how I volunteer in organizations, all of those things can be relevant to an identity. So doing that work before you quit, and then in that moment of that transition, that retirement, Experience really thinking through what are all of the other translations of who I am in other spaces? What are other worlds, other rooms that want what I have to offer?
0: One thing I noticed that there are a lot of great exercises in your book, The Portfolio of Life. I wonder if you could tell
1: us about one of them 100 Wishes. Sure. I love this one because it really helps people who have spent most of their life thinking about the career piece of them. To excavate the other parts of them that they might have put away in order to kind of focus and be serious and and make an impact so a hundred wishes that the idea of this exercise it's very literal I want you to write down a hundred wishes for your life but the point here is not just career wishes these are things that when you are let's say on your deathbed they are in total sort of the sum of the impact, the imprint that you will have left behind, the people you have loved, the things you have seen, the experiences that you had, the the joys, all of those things. So when people start writing these down, you know, when they're younger, they're like, okay, I can get like 10, 15, okay, 20, maybe 25. And then they all peter out. The joy of doing this when you're older is that in many ways, you get to look back and recap many of the incredible things that you have done with your life. It's a chance to reflect on like, wow, I did do a lot of the stuff that I said I wanted to do, that I cared about, that mattered to me. And yes, your career is part of it, but it's only one piece. And then the joy at this point is saying, okay, well, what's still undone? Are there trips I want to take? Are there volunteer opportunities that I want to pursue? Is there a class that I, you know, I'm like, should have done a stand-up class. You're like, okay, great. Go take a stand-up class. <laughs> Go learn how to ski. I don't know. I mean, maybe skiing is a little dangerous depending on your experience level. But but there are so many opportunities where you say, okay, maybe if I look at my 100 wishes, maybe 70 of them I've already achieved. I had the family. I got to have a huge impact on an organization. I've had three different careers and I've seen the world. Maybe that's a, a huge opportunity to be grateful for what you've done. And yet to still say, what is left that I care deeply about doing?
0: And I was wondering if you could share one or two things that's on your own list of 100 wishes.
1: <laughs> yeah. So actually, one of the things that in the course of writing this book, I wrote down on my wishes thinking, oh, I have no idea how that's ever going to happen. And then I kid you not, in the last 12 months, has happened. And I have to believe it's because I wrote it down and made it specific was to become a Broadway producer. I started my career in theater. I was a theater and math double major. And I thought for a long time that I was going to be a theater director and a producer as my career. I moved to New York. I started out at the Metropolitan Opera on the management side. And then I went off to business school with the intent of coming back to the arts. And then life happens. Financial crises happen. And I got diverted over into the tech world, which I love. And I've been here for 15 years. But I have always thought, well, how am I going to get back to theater? Not even full time, but how do I keep that in my life? I love the arts. I love the storytelling. I love the experience of everyone being in a place where you're all seeing something that won't exist again. Like this is just a moment in time and then it's over. And then at the beginning of last year, out of nowhere, a friend had a friend who was raising money for a show and said, this something you might want to do? I was like, yes. (laughs) So first I invested alongside a few friends and then we invested in another show. And then we started talking to the producers and I said, well, how do I become you? They're like, actually, it's not that hard. Here are the steps. So literally my partners and I just finished wrapping a fundraise for the new musical Water for Elephants, which is based on the book that comes out in March on Broadway. And we are co-producers on the show. Like, it's it's unfathomable to 15-year-old Christina that I made it to become a Broadway producer by 40. And yet, if I hadn't written it down, I don't know if I would have been as clear in my head that this is something I wanted.
0: That's phenomenal. It just shows the power of writing those things down. There's something about it that, uh, that really is transformational. And... Picking up on that, I think it's important that people know that the portfolio of life isn't theoretical for you. You actually <laughs> are a human Venn diagram.
1: Yes.
0: You really live this and you do a truly amazing mix of things. What lessons would you say you've learned in the process of crafting your own portfolio life?
1: Yeah. I think the two things that continue, in some ways that I continue to learn time and time again as I go through each chapter of my my life, each season. Number one is that just because you picked it up doesn't mean you can't put it back down. By which I mean, you can't just add, add, add. You have to also call. (laughs) You have to curate. And there are many things in my life, in my practice, in all the things that I love that right now are at a 0% allocation in my portfolio because I just don't have the capacity. And if I try to stretch myself too thin across too many things, I don't actually enjoy this life I've created. And so being able to have that discipline to say for this season, what do I need? What do I want? And what is the mix of activities that delivers that knowing that this is just a season? So for example, right now, I've been a musician my entire life, study piano, cello, voice, played in orchestras, sang in choirs, conducted. I made my money through college as an assistant choir director at a big church. Right now, I am not performing in any capacity. I'm not singing in a choir. I don't have an acapella group or an orchestra. And this is really, truly the first chapter in my entire life where that has not been true since I was four. But in large part, it's because I've got two young kids right now. They're two and four, almost two and four. and. I had these children right at the time we had a a pandemic (laughs) where singing around other people is like the most dangerous thing you could do. And that wasn't a risk that I was able to take at that point for my health, for their health. And so singing went on hold for a while, and I have not found the opportunity to pick it back up just yet. In the meantime, I have found ways to bring Broadway back into my life, ways to to write in ways that I hadn't had space for. So my artistic piece of my portfolio, the creativity, the making, it's still there. It just looks a little different right now. And my singing is limited to a lot of Elmo in the car.
0: I'm laughing because our uh, granddaughter is almost two, two in March and <laughs> absolutely obsessed with Elmo and Abby. Those two are the, go- mm-hmm. the go-tos, but mm-hmm. yes. But yes, the Elmo song is her go-to. We, we sing, that, sing that often, not as well as sure you can. But <laughs> so in a traditional job, metrics are critical. I'm wondering, how do you measure success in a portfolio life?
1: Yeah, this is a crucial question because I what you measure is what you manage, right? Peter Drucker told us this, this years ago, and it seems to be roughly true. And I think for many of us, what we measure is often the things that are easy, to measure, right? Things like numbers in our bank accounts, promotions, right? The things that are easily quantifiable and visible and countable. So for me, coming up with a measurement system um, ended up where I developed or I adapt truly the balance scorecard idea from the business world. I I adapted this for my personal life. And for anyone who's not familiar with the balanced scorecard, it's this idea that you sort of start with what are your strategic priorities for the business and then you translate that into specific objectives for the year. And then within those objectives, you have like, okay, here are the numbers, the tactics. Here's how we will know if we met that objective at the end of the year. And then you can give yourself a score. Yes, no, maybe is not a good objective. It means you didn't scope it correctly. But it gave me a chance to start with those strategic priorities and it helped me recognize that my career was one piece of my focus and I absolutely have things I'm I'm focused on and what the metrics are and how I will know that I succeeded there. And then I carved out, okay, if I say my, my health is important to me, okay, what am I going to do about that this year? And how will I measure that success? Whether it's my strength, whether it's what I'm fueling my body with in terms of food or sleep, whether it's, hey, I'm turning 40. There's a couple of really important doctor's appointments I'm supposed to start doing this year, right? Am I making space for that? Am I taking care of myself or not? And then carving out sort of what are each of these pieces of my Venn diagram or my portfolio that I say matter? And how am I measuring them? And the great thing about doing this is you start to see if you are like me, the first time you do this, you're like, whoa, I can't possibly manage 70 things in one year. That's not realistic. And then that's when you say, oh, I think I'm overcommitted. (laughs) That's the other thing I'm continuing to learn. Part of curation and prioritization is saying, what is the priority for the year? And what is maybe on the back burner or not now? And that gives you a chance to holistically say, okay, this I don't have space for, that really matters. Here's how I'm going to balance that load. And then set the actual goals at the end of the year. How will I know if I achieve this or not? It's a little bit, I don't know, maybe overbearing of a framework the first two or three times you do it. And then it just sort of becomes kind of natural.
0: A quick break in the action with a question. What's on your reading list this year? If you're looking for ideas, check out our page on our website, Best Books on Retirement. You'll find short summaries of the books I'd recommend. And in some cases, there's a link to the podcast conversation with the authors. What you'll quickly notice is that not all the books are about retirement specifically, but the principles and ideas there are very applicable to your next phase of life. You'll find a link in the show notes or go to our website, retirementwisdom.com, click on the insights tab, and go to best books. I appreciate all that. And one thing is that sometimes retirement's really not the right choice. It's not for everyone, or it's not the right time to your point on, on seasons. When can a sabbatical be a mm. good option for people to consider?
1: Oh, I love this question because one of my friends and colleagues, DJ DIdana, is working on a book on sabbaticals right now. I was like, this is such a powerful idea. You have to write this up. So, a huge part of sabbaticals. In my interpretation, DJ, don't kill me for this, is when you reach this point where you need space to look at things differently. So this could be a moment of burnout. It could also be a moment where you say, this is no longer serving me, but I don't know what would. Like I don't have enough space to reflect at the big picture because I'm in the weeds day to day. It could also have nothing to do with like your job, your career. It could be about your, your health or your personal life. It might be a space where you're like, I actually need to take a break in order to take care of my parents, my child, my whatever. And I'm not doing either the service that they need by splitting my time. So I'm going to take this specific defined break, this space, and I'm going to use that space to do like, it could be do this project I've always been wanting to do, write the great American novel. It could be try out this thing and see if it fits me. And sometimes you might learn early doesn't. And now you can go back to the life you, you were in before with a ton of confidence that it's the right thing. Sometimes it's like, I need to refuel all the other pieces of me, my creativity, my health, my friendships, and learn just a slightly more sustainable way to go about my my work. So it could mean a great many things. But what I love about sabbaticals is there's a whole community of people now that are doing this, right? You can even add a sabbatical on your LinkedIn as a job description for a period of time. It's really become a quite accepted understanding of how you spend your time And you can find others who've gone through it before you or going through it with you to help structure. It doesn't have to be something that you just wander through the wilderness on your own. So I'm a big fan of sabbaticals, especially if you're like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. And I'm 10 years too early to stop making money. Great. Take a little time off and see, is there another way you can approach this exact job, career, work? Or... Is there another line of work that you might want to make a pivot into for the last chapter of your working career?
0: Another thing you brought up in your book was the idea of personal board of directors. I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering what you what advice you offer people who are thinking about planning what's next about forming their own personal board of directors.
1: Yeah, this is so crucial at each of these transition points, right? Your personal board of directors, as I describe in the book, is is having stop thinking of like that one mentor who's going to give you all the answers, and instead cultivate a portfolio of advisors, if you will, who each bring a specific thing, right? You go to one maybe for help on negotiating, you go to another who might be a super connector, they know everybody, they can help introduce you to different people. But you sort of think through like, who's that brain trust that I go to for advice? And as you go through transitions, one of my favorite things to advise is Is there someone new you need to bring into your brain trust to add a perspective that you might not be thinking through? Whether it's, I'm thinking about a sabbatical because I might make a career pivot, but I'm not sure. Okay, grab someone from that world, bring them in and say, I've got six months to figure out if this is right for me or not. What would you advise are my next three steps? Or honestly, one of my other favorite hacks is bring someone from a completely different generation into your brain trust. If you're on the verge of retirement, go grab a Gen Zer. I kid you not. Pull them in and figure out what it is you're going to them for. And and equally so what what's great about the personal board of directors model rather than the mentor model is that it's not one directional. You're not just asking, "Hey, give me things." It can be this two-directional relationship where I promise you a Gen Zer or even a young millennial could really benefit from you being on their personal board of directors.
0: So when you were on the Today Show last year, a sentence I've never uttered prior to this, Mm -hmm. you shared three questions. (laughs) And that seems like a really good place to leave people with, with a few takeaways on this. What three reflective questions do you recommend for people who are interested in creating their own portfolio of life?
1: That's a great question because now I cannot tell you what those three questions were. I've like blocked out the Today Show. It was such a, a like once in a lifetime experience. But I'll tell you three great questions that I like to work through. It's what have I done? What brings me joy? What makes me happy? And what do I need? And if you, I mean, those might have been the three questions. Here's hoping I got them right. But it's it's sort of at the intersection of those three things, right? What are the skills, the networks, the experience that I bring to the table, and really thinking of that in the broadest sense of that term. I don't just mean what you've been doing professionally, not just how you're monetizing your time, but all of the other things that you do in every other dimension of your, your life. What do you have to offer? What do you need for this next season? And really break it down into specifics because you don't have to find one thing that meets all your needs. You really can divvy it up into different activities. And then the most important one is what brings you joy? I don't know if I'm just being idealistic here, but I really do believe that not every day has to be full of joy, but like more days than not probably should be. So of all the things you could be spending your time on, what do you want to do? And I especially think for a lot of high achieving people who've gone really far in their careers, there's a lot of stuff you can do. And so you end up having to do it, right? You're the it's a curse of competency. And just because you can doesn't mean you should. So what do you want to do? And how do those three things intersect?
0: Christina Wallace, thank you for making us so much smarter about a portfolio life and really appreciate making the time.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, that was a lot of great ideas from Christina Wallace and The Portfolio Life, and it really underscores what we're focusing on this year, the multidimensional you. You're not one thing and your retirement shouldn't be one either. So what are some actions you can take following this conversation today? Here are three ideas to consider. Number 1, map out what you need. We'll get to wants in a minute, but I think needs are a great place to start as she mentioned and take some time to really she recommended listing out the specific things you'll need in this next phase of life. And as Christina noted, you don't need to find that one thing that meets all your needs. Number two, what are your 100 wishes? Great exercise, take some time, freeform right? What are the things that bring you joy? Generate a brainstorm list of what you would want in this next phase of life. Number three, who could be on your personal board of directors? The truth is that figuring out what next isn't easy, and it helps to do it with others, get some advice, different perspectives. So make a list of who could be people you consult, who could be advisors, and your personal board. Thanks for listening to the Retirement Wisdom Podcast. The mission here is to help you build the life you worked so hard to earn following full-time work. I believe that can, for many people, be a multi-purpose retirement. Not just one thing, but a collection of activities that you create that are going to bring you joy, satisfaction, and happiness going forward. You can browse all of our episodes at our website, retirementwisdom.com.